Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. Yolando is using his pulpit voice Am this I? morning. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we're, we're at the seminary. We're in this large room. The mic is far away. I feel like I need to use my preaching voice, and so let me bring it down No, no, no. It's notch. good. It's good. What is astonishing you, preacher? Well, um, I was having a conversation with my dad about four five weeks ago, and he has been doing this research on um, uh, trying to find these classes, Mm -hmm. on Bible classes at seminaries and Bible colleges, and he's just really interested. He's not trying to get a degree. He's trying to learn, and um, we were having a conversation on the phone, and uh, he's just shocked about how expensive it is, and um, he's asking me if I know of something, you know, inexpensive that he could do, and... I said, Dad, you're supposed to be getting this in your local church, right? You're supposed to be getting this um, biblical education in your church. And uh, I'm reminded, I'm just astonished that there's and a... And instead, we give people how to apply the Bible. That's right. we don't give people the Bible. The Bible. Mm-hmm. The Bible. And I, I care deeply about this issue. Because um, I remember coming out of seminary and thinking... Who am I? Mm-hmm. I'm going to preach, teach these people who have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I probably don't know near as much as they do. And indeed, there's a lot of wisdom in our mm-hmm. congregations. However, um, there's a there's a great need for biblical understanding, training, literacy. I do feel like, and it's ironic because I think one of the things that mainline denominations pride themselves on is like a a reverence for, you know, the life of the mind and an intellectual engagement of scripture. And yet, because of our emphasis on the professionalization of clergy, we have largely abdicated our responsibility to teach people to be biblical interpreters for themselves. Right. I mean, I, I like to say to people all the time, like, look, friends, we've got one book, one book, your whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. You need to know this one book. Like that is a, that is a reasonable goal <laughs> that yeah. is accessible. Yeah. And I feel like we have just really, you know, maybe, um, unintentionally or, or maybe with the best of intentions, but we have sort of, um, fallen into this trap of feeling like it's our job to know the Bible on behalf of the people and to dole it out in like palatable chunks that are appropriate for every occasion instead of saying like, no, you are to be the theologian of your own life Mm -hmm. and, and I need to give you these, um, give you all of the contextual and historical Mm -hmm. tools that I've been given so that you can see the through line of scripture Mm -hmm. and so that you can make connections between, say, um, Amos and the fall in Genesis Mm -hmm. and flipping forward to the vision of the kingdom in Revelation. Like, you need to, you know, and we're not doing that because I think we like being the resident experts Well, I think there's some ego in some of us that like that. The deep irony for me is I feel like our brothers and sisters in the non-denominational and the evangelical movement often who sometimes don't have the same, um, you know, uh, scholastic requirements of their Mm -hmm. pastors, but they have not abdicated that responsibility in the same way, many of them. And so it's interesting that we pride ourselves on, on being something, but actually we use 
our training of clergy as an excuse or as mm. a reason not to teach people and to expect people to yes because yeah. i just think that in this you know twitter universe that we're living in that we are supposed to expect um, or think that people are just not going to go very deep, that they can't or won't, and we're not to have any level of expectation that they will uh, really engage the scripture uh, on a deep and meaningful level. Well, and I just like to, and I feel like I say this a lot, but probably not enough, to say to people, reading about the Bible yeah. is not the same as yeah. reading the Bible. Yeah. So it's fine yeah. to read about the Bible, yeah. but not if you were doing that instead of reading the Bible, right? Like yeah. you... you um, need, you know, I just think like friends who are converting to Islam, I mean, literally learn Arabic. Like right. that's the expectation. Right. Yes. Learn a foreign language. Yes. But yeah. we act like our people could never yeah. love God enough or take their their faith seriously yeah. enough to say like, hey, let's just sit down and walk through this mm. book. Uh, anyway, so well, and I know it's astonishing. I mention these folks all the time, but I love that uh, uh, the guys in the Bible Project podcast say that the Bible is meditation literature, Mm -hmm. that as you read it, you're not supposed to get it all at one time. It's you, you read it and you think about it and you think about it some more and you keep reading and you keep reading all your life. And Peterson says in his introduction to the message, which I is a, is a paraphrase. So, and that, that's a, but I also feel like it's a very faithful paraphrase because it takes the Bible out of what has we've come to see as like holy language and mm. makes it accessible and earthy again, which mm. was what it was originally to people. But what he is saying to people is that the Bible is ultimately revelation. So if you're reading the Bible expecting it to make sense to you, you're missing the point because it's revealing to you the nature of God and the nature of reality that doesn't conform with your current experience or expectations or or understanding of what is good or appropriate, right? This yeah. is God saying, here, yeah. let me give you truth that is not evident in culture mm-hmm. and is you will never figure out for yourself. So yeah. you need to, you know, renew your mind to it as opposed to, and that's the problem. Bringing it down, right? right. And that's well, the much problem with so much writing about the Bible is they try mm-hmm. to make the Bible accessible and relevant mm-hmm. to, you know, contemporary cultural mores instead of saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> it's the other way around. One of my favorite images for my own discipleship when it comes to reading the Bible is that, you know, God will put things on the top shelf and I have to get on my toes and stretch and reach for it. And sometimes I can grab it and other times like, no, I just can't reach that yet. And that's okay. It is okay. Especially knowing that I can continue to chew on it, to recognize that it's holy. And, you know, I think we say a lot that I don't want a God whose understanding doesn't surpass my own. I mean, so the idea that God's wisdom is not always accessible to me is actually pretty encouraging, Mm -hmm. right? So much of it is, right? But the idea that there are things that just challenge me um, or that I struggle with, to me, that's helpful because it helps me experience this as revelation that is beyond me, which is good because I, you know, I need a God who's bigger than my mind. Mm -hmm. So... That, yes, that is the local church. We should be doing that. And I do, we've talked about this before. I think sometimes whenever anybody in the local church gets really excited about 
their faith or about scripture Mm. or about really going a step deeper. Often what people do is say, oh, you need to go to seminary, right? Because that's all we know to do with people. No, no, no. You don't need, I mean, maybe you need to go to seminary, but just because you're interested in in really making the primary focus of your life God and your discipleship and you're following after Jesus, that doesn't mean you're called to be a pastor. And and that is the exception to the norm, but it should be the norm. That's right. But because it's not the norm and those people are disruptive in local church communities, we were like, no, 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 get away. You yeah, go to seminary. Go, yeah. go somewhere else. And Acts, yeah. Acts 2 gives us this snapshot of the early church, and it says they devoted themselves mm-hmm. to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, the breaking of bread. And there's just this image of the early church being focused on the spiritual life, the spiritual disciplines of the church that um, I think we need to recover. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so what I have for today is kind of one big uh, story slash rant slash query. Yes. I Uh, love it when you have a rant (laughs) that just, I don't know, it it just, it's good for my soul. It just makes me, um, I don't know, I just like it. Go, go. So... So, um, yeah, so this is what I'm thinking about, and and it ties into what I'm preaching right now, and and it is definitely astonishing me. Um, So there's a hard and fast rule in my marriage that I am never allowed to mention my husband from the pulpit, but... He never <laughs> forbade me from mentioning him on the podcast, you know, 22 years ago when we started dating. So this is fair game. So um, Colin and I, um, we really rarely talk about the church or about um, worship or preaching mm. in our home, which actually is as much at his, um, you know, he, he sort of established that precedent in our marriage. And at first I used to really chafe at it. And now I really, um, I really appreciate it. It's kind of like a, a Sabbath and a sanctuary. Mm, And I just, you know, when I come home, he, he, you know, he'll talk about his work and I'll talk about my work and then he'll say like, I'm done talking about what, you know, like, and it's good. I mean, it's really, really healthy. Yeah. Um, so it is rare for us to have a conversation. I mean, we'll have a conversation about like people we care sure. about or something, but not, sure. you know, we don't have conversations about how is the church going <laughs> and, and never about preaching. Um, just doesn't happen, especially, um, initiated by Colin. And so it was remarkable that on Sunday night, um, the kids were cleaning up for dinner. We were sitting at the table and he, um, and he, he, he wanted to talk about the sermon, which, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I don't ever remember that mm. ever happening in our marriage. And wow. so on Sunday, we preached, um, I, I preached about Philemon, and it was the third in our series on Shalom, and um, really kind of picking up on where we left off the previous week with Amos and talking about how, like, when we use worship as a work around the covenant, right? Like, mm. I don't intend to live by the covenant. What I do intend to do is, like, come into church and throw a few Benjamins down and say, sorry, God, and then walk out the door and do whatever I want to do. <laughs> Like God is not down with that and that that's a kind of worship that, you know, literally Amos says, like your worship stinks, like it smells bad, Mm -hmm. stop it. And I'm going to take it all away. Um, and you know, it was a good line. Like you're, I'm kicking you out of the promised land, but not out of the promise, right? Like Mm. the point of this identity and the point of this community is so that you can live free and live out the covenant. And if you're not going to do that, then there's no point for you to have these things. Deuces, right? (laughs) So anyway, and then at the end of that sermon, saying like the point of worship is creative and it's not 
creative singing or creative art or creative mm. um, liturgies. It's to create our lives outside yes. of this place, to let our lives be formed by the covenant of the kingdom of God and not by the culture, right? So that we can be salt and light and a light to the nations and a blessing to all nations because we move differently and see differently and think differently um, because God is redeeming the world through God's people. So what the product of worship is not entertainment or reassurance. The product of worship is radically transformed lives, right? So then this past Sunday is Philemon, and I'm saying, like, okay, so here's where it gets real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Philemon is a believer and, like, an authentic and good believer, and he's a slaveholder, and um, his slave somehow ends up in relationship with Paul and so then ends up in relationship with Jesus and then Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon and saying essentially what are you going to do he's your brother right you can't own your brother Mm. like you need to receive him as you would receive me Mm -hmm. because there's only one Lord in the church and it's Jesus and like you you can't you can't hold a debt against him you can't you just can't do this and the idea that as believers and the the overarching umbrella of Shalom is to say God made the world a certain way um, made reality a certain way in the garden God's way was disrupted by human sinfulness yep. and God's intention ever since then has been restoration has been redeeming has been recreation and that is Shalom, shalom. right mm-hmm. Shalom was as it was in the beginning and Shalom is what it will be forever and ever amen mm-hmm. and so it's great to be like yay God Shalom I'm all in But then there comes moments in all of our lives, like in Philemon's life, in that moment where Paul really sends a letter and is like, hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but at this moment, when it comes to your relationship with this person, Onesimus, who is your brother? Mm. Um, And, you know, not for nothing, but I don't think that God is okay with you enslaving not your brother. But now it's very clear, how are you going to own as property someone who is your eternal brother? So you are going to have to make a choice, Philemon, because you can't. You, you can't do this. You're going to have to pick in this moment which kingdom do you believe in right. and which kingdom do you belong in and which kingdom has your allegiance. So slave holding is obviously integral to the Roman Empire, both culturally and economically and, you know, ethically. Everybody had made their peace with it. It was necessary, so it must be okay. And hmm. and and if, you know, Philemon welcomes Onesimus back in as a brother and quote, gives him his freedom, right? Um, Gives him back his life, which only belonged ever to God anyway, then that is going to not only cost him his slave, um, but it's also going to disrupt, it's going to put a target on his back, right? right? And this idea that the kingdom of God can fly under the radar in the Roman Empire, which obviously was dispelled in the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Like it's going to be disruptive. You can't just live next door to your slave owning neighbors and be like, I can live here as a Christian and it's not going to change anything. No, no, no. It's going to change everything. And in that moment, Philemon has to choose which kingdom has priority in his life. And um, anyway, so that is the whole sermon. And then at the end of it, and, and just a lot of time in the sermon, I felt like having spent a bunch of time in the library reading all these commentaries about Philemon and scholar after scholar having these big, long, convoluted arguments about how, like, the institution of slavery was a morally complex theological issue. And I want to be like, um, no, no, it's just really not a more, like, did it exist? Yes. Did God's people practice it at times? Yes. But, I mean, 
again, looking at it from the rubric of shalom, there's nothing complicated about slavery. Right. It's an evil institution. It's a disruption of God's will. God's people shouldn't mm. be a part of it. The end, right? Mm-hmm. And anybody who's going to twist themselves into some kind of theological pretzel to make it seem as if... It was okay. Or there's some sort of extenuating circumstances mm-hmm. or whatever. Like that, I have a huge problem mm-hmm. with that. And the number of scholars and, and you know, theologians and pastors I respect who, who wanted to talk about everything else in the letter of Philemon except the institution of slavery and how believers confront it. Like, it's astonishing to yeah. me. Like, it is astonishing, <laughs> it, which is not the main thing that astonishes me <laughs> yeah. in the story, but whatever. So I felt like I had to use this, spend a whole time amount of time saying, like, hey, if you're confused, God's not okay with slavery, and here's why. And then in this moment, you know, Onesimus, the, his slave, comes back to Philemon, and Paul is saying, what are you going to do? By the way, I'll be there soon. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, this is a personal decision, but it's not private because I just cc'd everybody mm-hmm. in your house, church. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, Philemon is going to have to pick, and, and it's going to disrupt his life. It's going to cost him everything. And then closing to the church to say, and everybody here is going to have a moment when being in the kingdom of God is going to cost them their lives in the kingdom of this earth. It's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, if you think, if there's a voice that says, oh, God would never ask me to do this, or this is too much, or the cost is too high, or God just wants me to be happy, that little voice in your head, you need to say, get behind me, Satan, mm-hmm. like that. Yes, God yeah. will. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, then... I'm home Sunday night, and Colin is like, I can't believe that you preached a whole sermon about how slavery in ancient Rome was wrong. Like, everybody already knows that. You should have had, you know, why didn't you have some modern-day examples, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a very authentic um, question, and I, I mean, sort of feel like, you know, with the people in my family, like, if I'm not connecting, then I need to adjust Myself, right? I mean, these are the people I'm trying to communicate with. And so I felt like I had had done a good job being clear and saying, like, these are the stakes. And 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 he was saying, that doesn't seem very relevant to my life right now. And and I, you know, I'm trying to have this conversation about inductive preaching and, mm-hmm. and why I really believe in that, which I guess I should explain that inductive preaching is this term we have for um, a, a philosophy of preaching. So, so deductive preaching, as I understand it, you can correct me if I'm my memory is corrupted, but it's just this very direct, straightforward, right. God says this, this is how you apply it in the world. And mm-hmm. there's a place for that. But I am an inductive preacher. I feel like it is my job to teach people how to think biblically, yes. how to see the world and their lives through the lens of the gospel. I'm teaching you how to think. I'm not thinking for you. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I need to send people out of the sanctuary to encounter whatever they're encountering in their lives, whatever's going on in the news, whatever personal, ethical, moral situation that they then have mm-hmm. to weigh it through the lens of, well, this is what the kingdom of God is. These are the values of disciples. And so now I have to make my choice as opposed to saying like, well, Pastor Kate says that we need to think <laughs> this about the wall. Like, I mean, whatever. The problem with me for that kind of preaching is I don't like it when people do it on the quote other side. Mm-hmm. So then why would it be okay for me to do it on the quote right side? Mm-hmm. B, it limits people's wisdom 
to my wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. if people can think biblically, then they can outthink me and think mm-hmm. beyond me. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not teaching people, I mean, to your point, if I'm not teaching people the Bible and the through line of the Bible and thinking biblically, then I'm basically still acting as a mediator. Well, we're not making disciples of Jesus. We're making disciples of the preachers. Right. And I just, I don't want to send people out to be obedient or to get in line with me. I want to send people out able to take agency for living out their own Mm -hmm. faith in the Mm -hmm. world. And Colin was really saying, like, I think you kind of were pulling some punches. Like, you preached this whole sermon about something that, you know, was obvious and nobody would disagree with you. And I'm like, well... On the one hand, like, yes, but on the other hand, I feel like that's really subversive, right? Because everybody's like, yeah, yeah, those Romans, how dare they? And then they go, but wait a minute. Yeah. Our country was built on the institution of slavery. And wow, like the whole Civil War was fought on the institution of slavery. And a lot of people thought, like, well, we have to have slaves in order to build this nation. So therefore, ethically, it must be okay and Mm -hmm. God must be okay with it. And I just feel like it's much more powerful when you give people the tools that they can realize for themselves or convict themselves rather than me just throwing a position out and people saying, like, yay, I agree, or I don't agree with you, shut up, right? I mean, who cares? I don't care if people agree with me. Who am I? I am nobody. Mm -hmm. I care whether people are lining up their lives and their political opinions and their business decisions and their relational decisions with the witness of Jesus Christ, and Mm -hmm. that is what I'm trying to people to do. But the astonishing thing is I really like that night and I went to bed and I've been thinking all ever since then, like, oh my gosh, like was I too subtle on Sunday? <laughs> Which like, am I, that I, like and I, I don't think that's ever happened. No in, one has ever in my life no. accused me of being subtle. What? And but I mean I really like I I, I I love the people in my congregation. I don't needlessly want to provoke or offend them, sure. but I don't think, I mean, I don't, I mean, the reason that I'm not explicitly stating things, I think is to make things more powerful mm. and, and, you know, I think of it as kind of like a radioactive half-life kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like you mm-hmm. take it in cause you don't know it's like yeah. a parable, right? Like you Absolutely. don't know that it's going to get you. And you walk down the road a piece and it's like, Oh, boom. Oh, I get it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. But on the other hand, if Colin comes home and is essentially saying to me like, that's fine, but what does it have to do with my life right now? Then I'm yeah. like, okay, well then something important was missed because I need to make sure that people hear that part about that was, you know, Philemon's defining moment. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're going to have yours and I need you to be ready for it. Um, and so I guess that didn't, that didn't hit. Um, and, and that needs to hit for me. So anyway, it was just a really, interesting thing and it's making me consider changing my plan for this Sunday that I I was thinking that I was going to do a thing about David dancing before the ark and just talking about needing to have a vision of what God's shalom is and needing to be able to find joy in anticipating that as opposed to a joy in the present reality but now I'm feeling like maybe I need to go back and do another, like take another whack at the pinata of the whole two mm. kingdom thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to make a choice. Every single one of us, there's going to come a time when your life as a disciple won't seamlessly integrate with your life as a good American citizen or a good mm-hmm. daughter or a good son or a good, you know, employee. And in that moment, you got to understand that. Got a painful choice. You And you, and that, that the call is clear. You choose the kingdom of God 
even and especially when it blows up and disrupts your, quote, ordinary life, mm-hmm. because God is disrupting, dismantling, and destroying mm-hmm. life as we know it in order to redeem the world and creation. And so we shouldn't be surprised yeah. when there's this huge clash of values. We should be anticipating it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that is what's on my mind this week. Wow. I'm, Am I too subtle? I am astonished. <laughs> I am astonished that anyone would think that you were too subtle. I, I'm I blown away by that. And, and, I mean, somebody, obviously, whose opinion I I value more than anyone else's, yeah, right? Like, yeah, I, it was just yeah, a really, yeah. it was a really fascinating moment. And, and to say, like, I mean, I guess the And funny, you're seriously asking the question. Well, I'm seriously I, looking at my commitment to inductive preaching and making sure that, you know, the, the cost of inductive preaching is that sometimes in the moment, people don't get that don't don't get it like they, they take it in without yes. kind of recognizing yeah. it's a well, lot more you on the you, you put it in terms of of inductive and deductive preaching yes. in my own mind um i put it in terms of teaching versus preaching okay. uh, preaching is proclamation you are the herald you're saying this is the reality right you're mm-hmm. you're, you're you're making an announcement Teaching is kind of line by line. You're building knowledge, mm-hmm. and so my um, my natural impulse is simply to teach from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And I've had to be very intentional about the proclamation to say this is true. This is true. And to and as a matter of fact, in my preparation time now, I'm asking. What is it I'm I'm proclaiming, heralding uh, in this sermon as I teach my way to that that place of proclamation? Yeah, so I think that's really interesting, and I think who who is it? I can't remember Niebuhr or someone important who said, you know, you got to preach with the Bible in one hand and the New York Times. Oh yeah, in the other I think hand. that was a Niebuhr. And, and you know, and coming up in seminary, like that was heralded as like yeah. yes, and like how could you not? Yeah. And for, now I look back at it, and I'm like, wow privileged white person perspective, yeah. right? <laughs> like, <laughs> but like the news that's in the New York Times is what yeah. you need to respond to. But, yeah. but, and yeah. I don't, and I don't, that's not part of my thinking. Well, yeah. and, and I don't, I mean, and it, and it isn't in my thinking and yet, and, but mm-hmm. I do feel like it's really important. I, I mean, I don't uh, sort of strain at the idea of preaching being relevant, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I do want people to be able to intrinsically see how this um, is applies sure. to what they're doing, and so it, it you know, that's a really it, it's an interesting tension between I don't want to use the pulpit and borrow God's authority and tell people think like this, vote like this, live like this. Yes. I'm not there for yes. that. On the other hand, I do want to help people see connections between if this is how we see so clearly the Roman culture built on the evil institution of slavery, then what does that mean for us in our American culture, which is built upon the evil institution of slavery and yes. what is our legacy involved? And, you know, and I did not name yes. that in the sermon. Like I felt like I brushed people all the way to the yeah. water and then I want them to take that last step for themselves. Right. I want them to be nodding okay. their that heads saying yeah. like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Roman yeah. culture was built yeah. on slavery, but it was still the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. then go, Oh wait, but yeah, but yeah. the next time they hear someone talking about reparations and they're ready to just dismiss it and be mm-hmm. offended by it, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, that's just 
that I just, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and, and so, so I, I want to help people make those connections, but I also want to see that it's deeper. I don't want to fight the culture war. Right. And, right. and mm-hmm. I just think that's crazy. And we were disagreeing about this earlier, but like, I don't want to win the culture war. Mm-hmm. I want to be part of cr- God's creating a radically new culture yeah. and kingdom. And, and so, I think the the way to get there is you have to go, like you did with the Philemon text, you've got to go through the text. You've got to saturate the people in the text, help them to see the text from the inside out, and then look at the culture. Um, mm-hmm. What I think a lot of us do, and we're all tempted to do, is to use the text as a jumping off point for what we really want to say. Right, right, right. 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 And, I, and I don't want to do that, but then I also, and I don't think I do that, but I recognize then... But sometimes we do the opposite. We don't go far enough and say, hey... These things are going on in our culture. The text says, and applying the text to what's going on in the culture. Well, I just think inductive preaching to me seems inherently more faithful because it requires a lot more trust in the Holy Spirit. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. I absolutely feel, and I think the cult- the church is deeply engaged in the community. I mean, we, you know, so that this mm-hmm. sort of embodied in other places, but I absolutely believe that who we know Jesus to be and what we believe God is doing in the world will shape our economic decisions, will mm-hmm. shape our political decisions, mm-hmm. will make our inner, will shape our interpersonal. Like I absolutely believe that. And I, I feel like people have to, I mean, just like what Paul did was basically say to Philemon, Hey, you're free to make whatever choice you want to make. And one choice is a kingdom choice, and one choice isn't. So you're free to make whatever choice you want. What Mm -hmm. you're not free to do is, you know, change the boundaries of the kingdom of God to make a certain behavior okay that's not okay, right? I mean, you don't get to establish God's values and God's truth. You get to choose either to live in the kingdom or to live out of the kingdom. So... I feel like that that's what I want to do is say to people like these are the kingdom values and then you got to make your own choices with fear and trembling um, and if we want to have a conversation during you know coffee hour about what yeah. I think about issue A, B, or Z. I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Sure. I'm happy to show you how in my life I come down here, here, and here, but you can't come down there because I do. You got to come down in the place that the Lord you know mm-hmm. pushes and compels you to go. So anyway, but I do think there there is a place for here's where I come down and here's why from the pulpit. Right. Well, and I do. I mean, sometimes I do that. I mean, particularly in in our congregation, after there's been some uh, you know really egregious and tragic um, injustice based mm-hmm. on white supremacy. Mm-hmm. You know, I really. I, I just it's important to me from the pulpit to name mm-hmm. specifically this happened yeah. and it's not okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think um, you know I'm really influenced by Paul Farmer. I've talked about a lot, and he talks about you know there are areas of moral clarity, and so in an area of moral clarity, I'm going to say yeah, I'm naming it. There's no wiggle mm-hmm. room here about where God lines up, but then. There are policies that, like we were talking earlier about, like I, I believe 
and see the Bible having a preferential option from the poor for the poor sure. all the way through. But when it comes to as believers, what kind of government we choose or support to enact that. Um, preferential option for the poor, welfare, it might be, oh gosh, I want to enact these economic policies because it lets the economy loose and I believe that this will create more jobs and flourishing and blah, blah, blah. Or it might be, I need to enact this tax policy because it creates, you know, brings more resources back to the government, which can, you know, care for people who are left out. And either of those two approaches, if the ultimate goal is the welfare and yeah. flourishing of the most vulnerable members of society, then either of those are fine with God as long as that's the goal. Yes, which and that's a different conversation than the culture war fight. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. And that's, anyway. So, there you go. I don't know if it was ranting enough. Oh, we're way, way, way out of time. You're keeping time today. you got to just I be am. subtle and blunt and be like, that's enough. Stop oh. talking. <laughs> it's all good.